national treasure himself, Nick Aldis. How are you, Nick? I'm doing well, gents. Thank you for having me. Thank Pleasure you for joining us. Absolutely. Um, so let's just get started with the uh, kind of obvious question. Um, how did you get into wrestling and why? Obviously, you were a um, bodybuilder and worked with other sports prior to wrestling. What made you kind of want to do the transition into professional wrestling? Well, it, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a transition. I, I think I, I just I had my sights set on wrestling, I think, from about the age of about 13 or 14, I think, truthfully. Um, it was 2000 was like the year where I sort of switched from being a sort of a, just a fan to sort of looking at it like, I think I want to do this. Um, then, the, you know, you probably remember that it was the year that Channel 4 got all the WWF stuff. And so I was buzzing because I never, we didn't have Sky when I was growing up. So I always had to get, I always had to get my mates to tape it. Same. <laughs> so it was nice to, it was so cool to finally have like Sunday night heat. Wow. You know, <laughs> so, um, and then like randomly they'd have like the pay-per-views, like they had the Royal Rumble and uh, I think that like Backlash certain... one year maybe. Yeah. Backlash was awesome. Like and Backlash 2000 was such a great pay-per-view. It was such yeah. a good show. Like top to bottom was just a mental card and it had uh, Rock and Hunter on last and they, tore the house down and I remember that was the match for me that was the one where I sort of went you know it like I couldn't obviously I didn't articulate it to that level at the at the time but later on I started to think that was the one for me because I started realizing I sort of like this Triple H as much as I like The Rock um and I you know because I saw I started sort of just thinking you know I know he's a bad guy and I know that you know, he cheats and I know that he's got the McMahons helping him, but God, like he's cool. I want to, you know, and I, and I was sort of started, you know, emulating him and thinking, man, there's something about him. And I, and I, and I started feeling that way about the, I mean, I felt that way about rock when rock was a heel too. Like I remember sort of preferring rock to Austin when, when they feuded the year before, like WrestleMania 15, I was, you know, that's it. I love Rock and Austin for WrestleMania 15. I know a lot of people kind of go, oh, all they did was brawl and stuff, but I I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. But I did remember thinking, I like, I was a little bit irritated that everybody was cheering for Austin so much <laughs> because I thought Rock's so cool, you know, like, uh, uh, but I suppose because I was a defiant teenager, you know, I was sort of like, I think I'd rather be the person, you know, like I, I was more likely to be the person with silly catchphrases and you know, sort of doing that than I was to be the because I wasn't a fighter. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't a sort of, I wasn't a street tough kind of kid. Although I grew up in an area where there was a lot of street fighting, there was a lot of in Kings Lynn, there was a lot of fights. You know, and it was there was like a fight culture, but I wasn't really part of it. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, it, around two thousand two thousand one. By by the time we got to two thousand two. I was firmly like I was lifting weights every day. I was, I sort of lost interest in sports uh, for the most part. And I just sort of started, I didn't really know how I was going to do it, but I just, I just started working toward the idea that I'm going to figure out how to be a pro wrestler. And I know it might seem, uh, it might seem a foreign concept today, but that's why I started bodybuilding. Like that's why I started lifting weights because when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever it was. Uh, like I said, strange though it may seem today, uh, my first thought was if I wanted to be a pro wrestler, I better start lifting weights. <laughs> <Yeah. clears 
it's a body so, game yeah. <laughs> yeah right right it's a upper body business but um yeah it, it, it all tied together it was all sort of fueled by like my i developed a an equal passion for for working out and you know fitness and nutrition and and bodybuilding and everything like that i that that grew parallel with my love for the business okay cool um so you just mentioned the triple h and the rockers two people you kind of gravitated towards and drew influence from um were there any other like people within wrestling you drew influence from and also from like outside of wrestling as well well brett was my guy like 100 percent um as a kid i you know, it's a testament to the quality of WWF's marketing. But I, even even when I couldn't watch it all the time, like I knew who everybody was. Uh, I, you know, so I had the annuals, we had the computer games, we had all that stuff. Um, and I remember, you know, I I understood that Hulk Hogan was the main man, right? Like I understood that Hulk Hogan was a celebrity. And I think I even understood on some level that he was a celebrity beyond wrestling. Like I sort of understood that he was a sort of household name. But I, and this is not a knock on the Hulkster and I've, and I've got to know Hulk over the years and worked with him and everything. And obviously anyone who's in the business owes him a huge debt of gratitude. But when I was a kid, I didn't really think of him as cool. You know, like Brett was cool. Like I remember thinking like Brett was someone who you didn't, you weren't sort of embarrassed to be a fan of Brett the Hitman Hart, right? Like he, he was good looking and he had the leather jacket and the, you know, the long hair and the sunglasses and the cool music and the cool gear and girls liked him. And it just, and the way he approached wrestling, he wasn't, Hey, look at me, you know, sort of, <laughs> he was cool. Right. Like, and I think I, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people try to knock Brett for like, a lack of charisma which i just think is a complete bullshit criticism because like okay he'd probably be the first one to tell you that his verbal skills were not the best in the business like his promo he certainly wasn't the best promo but he had bags of charisma he just had a different type of charisma than mm. than a lot of the other guys and i think that's why he resonated better with brits and i think that's why he resonated with with europeans and people all over the world rather than just americans because number one he wasn't waving an american flag around all the time <laughs> right which like it's so amazing to me that it's like trying to explore like i've had this conversation with americans so many times you know i've lived in america now for uh gosh like going on like 12 to 13 years and to this day i still have this conversation and and i have to explain to people like you do understand that you know when a guy's whole gimmick is based around like being a patriotic american that sort of alienates him from everybody else <laughs> you know what i mean like especially during different times when, you know, the U S is involved in stuff that some of the world are not particularly happy about. Like it's, <laughs> you know, not everybody agrees with you all the time. Um, and that was why Brett, like, I just, I, I, I this will turn into a, a Brett Hart love fest, but like, <laughs> that's fine. People don't, I don't think people appreciate how important Brett Hart was to the, to the survival of the WWF in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that they had scaled to a point. They Their scale of operation was so big after the boom they'd had in the 1980s, and it dropped off so significantly in the 1990s that 
they really they would have been in real trouble if they hadn't been able to continue to do big business uh internationally and that was because of brett and undertaker yeah 100 percent. Um, is is he a working night sevens what kind of like got me really hooked into wrestling as well oh, like it was, the it was incredible it was incredible yes unreal uh, talent um so good um you just uh, this isn't actually in my notes i just i saw this on a Twitter the other day, you won the Stu Hart um, championship, didn't you, as yeah. well? Yeah. Um, and Brett was in attendance. What, what was what was that like for you? Was that a bit of a kind of like surreal moment? Yes. I mean, obviously, in terms of, uh, in comparison to some of the other things I've done in my career, like it's not the same level of scale, right? Like, but it's um, on a personal level, it's up there with the most important things I've done. Um, so Brett, was, Brett had been a bit of a unicorn to me. Like I'd I'd been around a lot of things that he was at, but I'd never actually got to meet him. I'd always been like if he was at WrestleCon, like he's so popular that you always had he's sequestered in his own room and um stuff like that. And so I just I had never had the chance to actually really get to meet him and talk to him. Um and I never wanted to do it in a in an environment where there was gonna be a load of people around or um you know it was going to have to be very quick and sort of ushered in and out like, oh, okay, oh, it was very nice to meet you. Okay, bye. So, and then at the, um, I was at the Flair show, Ric Flair's last match in Nashville. And um, I was just doing commentary on on the show. So I had, so it was like a no stress sort of day, really. I was just, just sort of chilling out. And then I found out that Brett was there and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I can actually get a chance to, go up to him in a sort of private setting where there's no one, it's just the boys, you know, or just like just people backstage and all that. So I finally, I got a chance to, to go meet Brett and I walked up to him and, and he was sitting with the nasty boys and I, I'm good. I've, I'm friends with the nasty boys. I've known them, but they've always been cool to me. So I kind of politely kind of wait, wait for the, wait for a dip in conversation and, you know, walk up and, and shake his hand and sort of tell him like, you know, I've, uh, my name's Nick Aldis. I've, uh, you know, a pro wrestler and I've been, uh, uh, I've been a huge fan of yours for so many years and you're one of the main reasons I got into the business and I try to emulate you and you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like gushing my verbal diarrhea. <laughs> and then the nasty boys are like, Oh, Brett, you, have you ever seen this kid work? Oh, you ought to see this guy. He's really great. You'd love him. You know, he's, he's a great wrestler and da, 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 right. So it was nice of them. And uh, you know, we have a nice little conversation for a couple of minutes and then I, you know, it's kind of, I, I kind of bounce and whatever. And then, uh, Later on, he, he someone came and someone said, "Hey, Brett's looking for you." So I go back and find Brett and whatever, and, and he's like, "Hey, my um, my son Dallas is uh, promoting up in Calgary. You know, we're just sort of doing like doing this. You know, we're, we're sort of re, not 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 rekindling, but you know, sort of doing like a a version of sort of a stampede style thing. It's dungeon wrestling, and we're doing it, and we're and we're doing a we got a show in Calgary, and you know, Harry's our heavyweight champion and you'd be a perfect opponent for harry would you like you know would you be up for coming up and i was like fuck of course i would you know <laughs> um and that and it all sort of went from there and then i and then um we were on the uh we were on an event in cardiff that piggybacked off the the stadium show and we got a chance that's when i really got a chance to spend some time with him so it worked out well because I hadn't had a chance to really spend any time with him. And then I, and then he, he called me to, you know, he, he got my number and called me, which that was surreal in itself. Cause I got this 
phone call and I didn't know who it was. So I let it go to voicemail and then it was like, Hey Nick, it's Bret Hart, you know? And I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> uh, so yeah. And then I got a chance, like I said, I got a chance to spend some time with him in Cardiff over the, over that weekend. And, um, and it just, and then, then, uh, yeah, I was just, I just got back from, from my Canadian trip this weekend. I had Calgary on, on, um, Saturday and then Winnipeg on Sunday, but I went up a day early. I went up to Brett's house and, you know, sat there and, you know, and all that. And, and then, uh, and then, yeah, they, then I, I ended up transpiring that I ended up winning the, the title that is named after his father. So, you know, it, it means a lot that, uh, Brett would, you know, almost sight unseen. I, I don't know if he's watched any of my matches or not or anything like that, but, but just based on, you know, just based on sort of reputation and trust, he sort of went, Hey, you know, like let's let's make him the champion so uh, from a gratification standpoint you know uh, up there with the biggest honors i've ever had yeah i was gonna say is that like a bucket list thing for you like you know one of those things when you 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 first came into wrestling you were starting out you say you kind of you idolized and looked up to him is that one of those one day i need to meet him or you know that's that's something i need to tick off oh no doubt yeah i mean i wouldn't have i wouldn't have predicted it would be in that you know scenario necessarily but but um i'm very glad that it was and then the show was me and harry had a great match like the victoria pavilions are really i mean it's such a perfect wrestling venue like it's this you know you can see why stampede you can see why the and i just watched the uh tales from the territories episode on stampede it came out mm-hmm. the same week and um one of the guys on there i think it was I think it was Abdullah or it might have been, it was Abdullah or Dave Schultz, one of the two. They, one of them said, like, everybody who came through Calgary, ever, even even after they went other places, they they still talked about Calgary with this sort of, um, you know, with this sort of real fondness. And I can see why, because the pavilion, like, we probably had it, like, half full, but it was rocking. Like, the atmosphere was great. And, like, Harry comes out to to with davy boy's music and he has a bulldog and you know we, i've i've like i've got tons of heat like i've gone out and cut a heel promo and got got everybody got like got them right where i want them and it's like the heart family are there and diana is there and you know it's harry in the main event and he's got a bulldog with him and brett's sitting at ringside it's like the place was rocking mm-hmm. and i just remember being like this is like this is pro wrestling like this mm-hmm. is what i this is what i live for you know to to be in the thick of it in a, you know, in a moment like this, where it's like, I'm in control of the situation and I've got these people right where I want them, you know. But also incredibly surreal as well. I can imagine. Yeah. You're saying being at that point, being, you know, lucky enough to be invited up there and asked to go on there and, and having your idol in the crowd, watching you do what yeah. you do. You know, I, um, I, uh, yes, yes and no, but also in the sense, like I've been doing this a long time. So, you have to have it and this isn't this isn't coming from a place of arrogance this is just sort of coming from a place of sort of professional duty but it, it, i sort of you know once i was there i was sort of like all right like i'm in i'm in control like i'm gonna like i'm gonna go out and i know i can have a good match and i know i can close the show mm. um so it wasn't like i was sitting there going oh where's brett like mm. i knew he was there somewhere you gotta put you know? your business hat on though yeah you separate yeah, yeah. Those, Same- those two worlds same thing same thing as when i defended the title in missouri and harley was there 
like say very similar situation like harley had wanted nothing to do with the nwa because it had been such a joke you know previously um and then one because obviously i trained i went to his camp and two because of the 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 quality of the content that that dave lagana and i had been putting out like in terms of like with the 10 pounds of gold series and the early you know that like that stuff all the stuff i did with cody mm-hmm. um and uh just the, you know just the like i took the belt to china and was the first guy to def- first ever nwa champion to defend it in china and, and you know i'd been to australia puerto rico you know canada all over the us england so i think harley saw that as like good for him you know like that's mm. more like it right bringing and that so level then, of prestige back yeah to it, yeah guess. like yeah. that's what that's more like it like it's you know and so then when harley reached out and wanted to you know very similar sort of situation like hey I've got this little regional, you know, independent and like, can you come in and, and work with Leland and, you know, and, and in a title match or whatever. Uh, very similar situation, but it was like, and I actually, in it, as it, as it happened, not that it's a, not that it's necessarily a bragging right, I guess, but, but it's certainly significant, but it, Harley, me and Harley sat down and did like a taped interview and it ended up being the last interview he ever did on camera. Oh, wow. Um, but um there's it was uh after it was only afterwards where like because harley was in a wheelchair by then he was in like a, a motorized wheelchair and he came out and he had like his, one of his old ring jackets on or whatever and i guess I, like because again same thing as what being in in once i'm in once i'm in work mode i'm in work mode like he i didn't even know but he was he was really close to the to the entranceway and i just blew right past him when i came out for my entrance <laughs> You know, which was which was the right thing to do, and you know, like it wasn't. You know, it was only like like afterwards, like someone said, you you like you just you just marched right like right past Harley Race, you know. <laughs> but see, that's the difference. The thing is that like, because Harley Race, he would understand that. He'd go, "Well, yeah," like I would have done the same thing. Like Harley Race wouldn't have stopped if Harley Race was a heel and defending the title, and he was in someone else's hometown and. Well, then he wouldn't have stopped to, you know, like shake Luthez's hand, right? <laughs> like if the other guy was Luthez's son, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he would have, he would have just, he would have just headed straight to like all business. So I think, and, and not that I, but it was, I didn't even really do it deliberately. It wasn't a, it wasn't a sort of conscious decision on my part. It was just, it was just once I'm on, I'm on sort of thing. I imagine yeah, you've right. got some uh, incredible stories about Harley. He seems like such an, an amazing character. Yeah, I mean, by the time I by the time I met him and spent time with him, he was obviously, uh, you know, a, a, a much more calm and you know much older and much more calm and sort of reserved. But you know, he told me a lot of stories. It was, it was fun going. He would he took me he he took me to his office and showed me all kinds of really cool sort of um, memorabilia, like just sort of clippings, and showed me some checks. Like some, you know, some checks from like you know the seventies and the early eighties and stuff, and you, you know, and just uh, <laughs> stuff from Japan and st- like stuff with him and Andre and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, just <laughs> just a just a different just a different breed of mm. guy in the wrestling business. Harley Race, absolutely. Yeah, he fascinates me. Um, <laughs> so you, you mentioned the NWA World Championship there. You really kind of helped rehab the image of that belt. Um, 
obviously with the ten pounds of gold series, and then as you said, the match with Cody. Um, how did the match with Cody come about? And also, like, with the kind of like sort of pressure of being that champion, what were like the sort of biggest challenges in making it what it is today? Well, the Cody thing, Cody really initiated it. Um, uh, I think when I, I'm trying to remember now, um, the first, the first I knew about it was we, you know, I was, I was defending the title pretty much every weekend somewhere. Uh, and Dave Lagana most of the time was coming with me to document it. Um, cause that's like, what people don't understand is that like, my first year and a bit with the NWA is uh, the NWA didn't pay me any money. Like my, all my money came from the promoters that I was working for. So all those 10 pounds of goals and everything, I wasn't technically really getting paid for those. Like that was something we were doing to continue to, it was a sort of symbiotic thing because I was, you know, that was starting to gain momentum which was then getting me more bookings, which, you know, which was helping. So one, one hand, you know, washes the other, right. And increasing over time, right. The, the sort of the, the, there were, you know, it's funny. I, I mean, I, I don't have a definitive list, but um, there's quite a few who within a few months of me wrestling them in a title match got signed somewhere. So it was like, Jonah Rock, and then he in Australia, he ends up, and then he gets, he goes to NXT as uh, Bronson Reed. Robbie Eagles in Australia, and then he goes gets signed by New Japan. Um, uh, and 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 there were others, and I can't remember them now. But there was this sort of, you know, so it really did. It really was a sort of this concept of like I'm being pitted against like the best independent guys, and it was similar. I guess it was similar in that respect to what Cody had done when he had his list. Like he finished at WWE and he kind of put this list out, which was a very smart marketing thing on his part. Mm-hmm. He's very smart. Um, and it. So I, I don't know if that's what caught his eye or whether you know maybe it was part of that. And maybe obviously it was the belt itself because of the obvious uh, relevance to him and Dusty and everything. And you know because I certainly didn't know him and he didn't know me. Um, but I'm sure that he appreciated the way that I was doing it. And then just out of the blue, I, Lagana one day said to me, I think Cody Rhodes wants a title match with you. And I'm like, what makes you say that? He's like, Hey, he's, he was texting me, like just asking questions about you, like asking about <laughs> this and like, what's he, you know, is he easy to work with? And like, how's he, you know, how's this, how's that, um, you know, what are you guys plans? You know, and it, it was like, he was sniffing around. And so I just said, let's tell him to tell him to give me a call. Like, you know, like let's 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 work something out. Let's do some business. And again, sort of old school like that. Mm-hmm. Like I knew he would appreciate that, and I knew he would understand what I meant. And uh, and then we just we just sort of set it we set it up, and he sort of smartened me up. Like we've got this idea for this. We want to do this big show in Chicago, and they were they were hot. At the, you know, they were red hot. So, you know, you have to remember, like, I'm very honest, you know, even when I'm, you know, maybe to a fault, but I'm very self-aware, or at least I try to be. When I've 
first started doing the NWA stuff, I was ice fucking cold. <laughs> you know what I mean, like I was coming off of a TNA run, which I thought was pretty good, except like, a, you know, had, had been sort of minimized in the, in the last sort of six months or so. But I'd worked my way through that entire promotion, become world champion there, you know, uh, worked with all kinds of big name guys, carried the show, maintained ratings, house shows, everything like that when I was on top. I really thought that I would come out the other side of it with, you know, at least with some sort of market value. And I was fucking dead. I was cold. Like I had nothing, you know, oh. and it was just the business had just had TNA had this, had this stigma, you know, it had this weird sort of stigma about it. So it, so it was almost like it was a, it was a hindrance more than a help. So I sort of had to really start from scratch. Like, and that's when I, and that was one of the things I thought caught people's attention with, with what we were doing with the NWA, with the 10 pounds gold and everything was that I was very honest about it. Like we went, Hey, here's this guy, Tim Storm, who's the most likable human being you'll ever meet. He's a school teacher. You know, he's not a big star. He's, and he's, you know, he's not even a full-time wrestler, but it means a lot to him to be the world champion, you know, warts and all. Right. And so suddenly people were sort of going, oh, wait, like keyboard warriors who are sitting there getting ready to go, man, he's just a school teacher. They can't do that now. Mm -hmm. Now they've gone, well, they've just been fucking honest and they've just said that. And then if they're getting ready to go, oh, he's out here, he hadn't done shit since he left TNA. I said that too. I go, yeah, man, it didn't, didn't work out the way I thought. And suddenly everyone goes, oh, is this real? And it's like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, and Logano and I, when we were making that show, whenever, if, if there was ever a, a, a discussion about, should we talk about this or should we, you know, should we, you know, cover this or whatever, my, my number one rule was always, uh, let's, we, it, it feels, if it, like, it, it feels real when it is real. So let's not manufacture anything. Mm -hmm. There's no need. Yeah. Right. When you have, uh, and this is, this is just my philosophy for booking in the modern era. Right. And I know, I know I'm going off on a mad tangent here, but <laughs> stick with me. <laughs> like booking in the modern era, you've got to understand the most important element of booking, in my opinion, is you have to understand your audience. And if you understand that your audience, because I'm one of them, if you have to understand that your audience is desperate to know the real story, they're desperate to know the truth about everything that's going on. How about you just fucking start there? Easy. It's all a plate. <laughs> right. There's enough interesting, we are pretty interesting people. Like Cody, you know, one of the things I think that got, that, that made the rivalry with Cody and I so successful is that he's a really fascinating guy. Mm -hmm. Like he's a, he's a very unusual guy. And I mean that with love and respect, like, and I don't think that people really got to see a lot of that until then. And then people start going, you know, there's a lot more going on under the surface than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. And I think the same with me, you know, with, with me, it's like, oh, oh, six, four, you know, good body, good looking. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's with Mickey James and oh, Dixie Carter liked him a lot. And <laughs> so everyone just assumes that they've got you all figured out. You know, they just assume that 
oh, he's done everything handed to him. Oh, he, he didn't have to work. He ain't paid any dues. You know, they, they don't they don't know that I I worked on the camps and had to wrestle like every day and t- take the ring down, put the ring up. Sometimes wrestle twice. Mm-hmm. Had to cram in the back me and Tom with all the merchandise stuffed on top of us and all that. You know, they don't know any of that stuff, right? But over time, as they start to understand who you really are now they start to go oh they're not trying to they're not trying to work me they're not trying to pull the wool over my eyes that's when they get worked <laughs> because and i mean that in the best possible way like something again that's it's just a, it's a point of pride with fans who 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 really love the business and really take it seriously is that somehow along the way they they sort of they sort of determine they're determined to not get worked mm. right like you're not going to work me. And it's like, well, isn't that what you want though? Yeah. Yeah. Like you like, don't you see it? Don't deep down. Don't you, uh, me, me and Cody had this conversation a lot. Yeah. Deep down, they just want to be taken on a ride. Yeah. Deep down, they just want to suspend their disbelief. They're just, they just have a much higher threshold for disbelief than the average fan because they know what's really going on. <laughs> so you go, okay, here's what's really going on. And then they go, oh, my God. You know, that's... I don't know as much as I thought. Like... Well, they go, oh, my God, that's true. Like, mm. you know, I'm not saying this is and, a, and you've got to know how to do it right. Because the and I don't mean to and I certainly don't want to uh, get clickbaited to hell out of this. But, you know, you've got to be careful with that approach because the, you know, because if you work with someone who doesn't know how to do it right or mm-hmm. is selfish, they work into they work themselves to a shoot. Yeah, and then you and then you end up with problems like ones that we may have seen in certain places, right? Yeah. yeah. So you you have to have a sort of that's how the guys worked in the territory days. They understood everyone had have that worked with the same sort of criteria, like. Let's try to keep it as realistic as possible, but let's also build each other up. Let's boost each other's credibility. Let's not let's not point out obvious low hanging fruit like I'm bigger than you, you know, or like, oh, you're not as rich as me, you know, or whatever. Like, let's not do stuff that diminishes, uh. you know, the other's market value. Let's 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 build this anticipation to the showdown. Right, the, the the me and Cody when when we did our match the first one and the second one, I always likened the build that Cody and I did to what I call like gunslingers, like the gunslingers in a western, yeah, like that because it wasn't a heat driven angle. We weren't, you know, I hate you, uh, you know, I hate your guts. I want to like end your career, you know, da da da. Like you got to be really careful with that, like that, because mm. because if it's not believable, then immediately people just switch off and they go, okay, manufactured. Um, and I don't know. I felt like there had been so much of that, or there'd either been a bit sort of two ends of the spectrum. We either had angles that were like way too over the top in terms of the emotional thing, or it was like dream match booking. Like, oh my god, this wrestler who does loads of cool moves is going to wrestle this other wrestler who does loads of cool moves. Oh my god, isn't it a dream match? You know, <laughs> and it's sort of like, okay, but then what? You know, where like where's the where's the emotional investment? With Cody and I, it was sort of like this different 
it was like people it was the one of those things it became this thing like not a match that nobody knew they wanted until 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 they got booked you know um <laughs> and i always thought that it was really came down to the level of effort that we put in like ring of honor had a show in london and they did the crystal palace arena it was really great it was the same venue that new japan just did yeah it's a really really great venue yeah it's really good i was there for and it I, superb I went all the way there just to do a promo. Like we flew there and I, and it was like, Cody had a match with someone and then I came out unannounced, you know, and that's where we did the agree. Like we shook hands and agree, okay, fine. I'm all in. And it was, I think it like, we just, and I remember like we, we left that day and we, and we drove up to my parents' house. Um, and by the time we got up to Norfolk, you know, three hours late or whatever, it was like, Oh, everyone on you know on social media is just like they've lost their minds about this and i think it was just the level of effort you know because it was when 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 had when had anyone gone to that level of effort for an independent show mm. you know what i mean it, it was like when it when it when had an angle between two guys a rivalry of one match been built with that amount of effort like for, for you know for one night that wasn't funded by a, a multi-million or a billion dollar company, mm -hmm. you know? And it just sort of, I think that was the thing that just got, uh, you know, it was just little things like that, that, that started to get the ball rolling. And then after that, it was just a case of, all right, let's, you know, let's just keep it going. And like I said, we had such a mutual understanding that, uh, he needed me and I needed him like it, it he needed a big moment right like he needed a he needed a big win a big moment a big sort of crowning achievement to prove to WWE that he could be that guy mm -hmm. and I needed a chance to uh, you know but I mean essentially the same thing I needed a, I needed a chance to be in a in a main event angle where uh it wasn't like oh he's getting the rub from jeff hardy or he's getting the rub from sting or kurt angle or something and this is not a knock on cody because cody was still a bigger name than i was but it was like we're the same age or you know similar age and similar you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it was like the first time i got a chance to really uh strut my stuff with a peer rather than being sort of handed a, a, an opportunity does that make sense yeah, yeah and, absolutely and you know so i always look back on it fondly and and cody and i even texted about it after he uh after his wrestlemania um you know when he showed up at wrestlemania because uh -huh. you know he was very gracious about that and and you know thanked me again for for you know for, for doing business in chicago and everything because it was like it because he, he knew he knew how how much it meant like mm. it, it helped a lot and i and i'm and it, and it and all of that angle really helped build my credibility and value which i then used to sort of essentially build the nwa with uh -huh. you know so it was like people in wrestling throw this like people love to talk about a mat a great match or a five star match or how many stars did this get and all this kind of thing and i don't you know and look if you care about that cool that's you know what i mean that's up to you like i'm not going to sit here and go oh it's stupid whatever but the most satisfying thing you can do in wrestling is what we call a good piece of business mm -hmm. 
right? When you have a segment and you come back and you go, oh, everyone's buzzing, you know, or you have a match and you go, man, how did you hit? Like we built them and built them and built them. And then we, we took it home just at the right time. And the place was rocking, whatever. But, you know, ultimately what you want to do is a good piece of business. Meaning like by the time you're finished, everybody's value has increased. You know, yeah. everybody who came in, like everybody came out the other end stronger, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't like, you know, people who looked at it on the surface and I saw a lot of people would make this comment like, oh, Cody booked that show and he booked himself to win, uh, 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 right? And it's like, you don't get it. Like it, there was no other finish to do in that moment. You know, we never even discussed it. Like we just knew what, like what the best piece of business was. Like it's, it's you know, there's nothing I would change about that match. And there's nothing I'd change about the return either, mm. you know? And uh, the only thing I would change would be if we could have got the rubber match, but who's to say that we still couldn't. Absolutely. Hope so. I remember Hope so. Um, actually rewatched the all in match this morning. Um, it really felt like, as you said about the build, it really felt like a big fight, like feel yeah. with yeah. The, like the presentation, the entrances, um, but like obviously Cody coming down with his corner menu coming down with yours. It was just, it was just really well presented. Um, I think like going back and looking at it, it was something I maybe didn't appreciate as much at the time. And then sit like going back going, wow, that was really well done. Um, yeah. I mean, look, and, there's well, very few, there's very few things in wrestling that, that, um, that can top like a full building standing and screaming, giving you a, a standing ovation at the bell. <clears throat> you know, that's one yeah. of those rare. And it's like, it's one thing to do it when you're two giant stars, right? Like obviously that I'd say the most, the mo- the best example of that would be rock and Hogan, right? hundred percent. It's the, it's one of the most incredible moments you know that that minute that two minutes whatever it is you know it's one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history but the you know cody and i had a you know our own version of it it was it was eleven thousand people it wasn't says sixty eight thousand, but it was but it was like i thought for me the thing that was so gratifying about it was that like i we didn't have tv we didn't have we didn't have a we didn't have a you know a a national t- a television show to build this with mm. we did it on youtube yeah like we we did it with we did it with cell phones and <laughs> and you know <laughs> we did it like we did it with you know it was a real testament to our creativity and we had no writers and no you know what well, there wasn't there wasn't some czar sitting there going here's what's going to happen like mm. it was all a, a sort of mutually beneficial sort of agreement and it was all done organically along the way between us because we knew what we needed to accomplish out of it we trusted each other uh and it's just i guess i wish more wrestling was like that i guess amen absolutely agree yeah yeah um i know we've gone off on a huge tangent here so not at all messed up your notes no no that's all right (laughs) i kind of like i've been sort of picking them out from like where we've been going anyway uh, you did mention uh, like your TNA run during um, during that uh, early on in your career, you won the TNA TNA Tag Team Championships and IWGP Heavyweight Tag Titles with Doug Williams um, when you were in the British Invasion. Um, how did that help you grow as a wrestler? Because Doug's like an incredible mind for the business, isn't he? Well, Doug, it can't, it can't really be understated. Doug, Doug, pretty much saved my 
TNA job, I think. Like I, I mean, I don't know if I would have been fired, but I certainly, it's there's certainly a good chance because I was so green. I showed up. I got given this awful gimmick. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know. I had no experience. I I had a lot of experience for a guy my age in comparison to other guys my age, just given the fact that I'd wrestled probably about 200 days in my first year full time. But they were a very certain style of match. You know, it was it was the holiday camps mostly. So yeah. it was very sort of like, shall I break his arm, kids? Yeah, <laughs> you know, sort of very, you know, it was so I had an experience, but not what not the experience that I needed. Um, and I certainly I just had no clue how to how to do like a four minute television match. Um and TNA was, you know, it was, it was wild, you know, it was there was there was there was a lot of people there, but and there was a structure, but there was still there was still sort of these now looking back on it now, I still think how did they how did how did nobody spot this? How did nobody you know, have a more a sort of more quality control in place, you know. Um, and it's times like that when you understand why WWE is the number one, because they just have it. They their system just just does not allow for for uh, guys who are not ready or guys who are you know for it's their quality control is just so much stronger than anybody else's. Um, and I was floundering with this terrible gimmick, and I was kind of the best i could i was trying to trying to see if there was some way i could not do this gimmick and do something else uh and i don't know how it came up but i just remember terry taylor coming to me and being like good news uh you don't have to do that gimmick anymore and i'm like okay he's like we're bringing in doug williams and uh, we've got this there's this big bodybuilder rob terry and we're going to put you guys together and make you the british invasion and i was just like ah. Oh. Thank God, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, Doug was so significant to me anyway because Doug had come to Dropkicks Academy, which was one of the schools that I had trained at, uh, and he would come and help out whenever he wasn't working, and uh, he'd rolled around with me a little bit and put in a word with me for me for a couple of places and said, "There's this kid. He's very green, but he's got quite a decent build, and he's a good athlete, and he's you know whatever," and then. Uh, he got me booked for John Fremantle, who used to still do the traditional shows in rounds and all that down on the South Coast, Worthing, I think. And uh, I was my second or third ever singles match, and it ended up being with Doug in a you know traditional rounds match, or whatever. And you know Doug obviously like you know he could wrestle a broomstick, so he wrestled <laughs> some someone just slightly better than a broomstick at that time, and dra dragged him through like you know five rounds or whatever, and even gave me a fall. Um, <laughs> And it helped, you know, off the back of that, you know, I get some more bookings and I get some more bookings. And then a couple of different guys, including Doug said, you should talk to Brian Dixon. You should call Dixon. You're perfect for what he wants, you know, big sort of, you know, good looking baby face, whatever. So he had been a sort of, you know, whether he, whether he intended to or not, he had been a massive sort of advocate for me anyway. So it was cool to me because I had obviously had the big break with gladiators and that was what led to get me getting the opportunity with TNA. Uh, and Doug had had some, had had some bookings with TNA, but they'd never pulled the trigger on like using him full time on television. So 
it was very, very rewarding to me that the my their their um their desire to find something for me to do led to them finding something for him to do, uh, and we complemented each other very well. Um, because the one thing I would say, uh, even though they've still gotten gotten a hell of a lot better over the years, like anything would with with time, you got to put in your ten thousand hours, but. The one thing I was always confident with was promos. Like I never had a problem on the microphone. And um, so, and I think Doug would be the first one to tell you that at that point in 2009, you know, promos were not his strongest thing. So we just sort of had that understanding, like when it comes to the, the entertainment part of it, the backstage segments and the promos and stuff, I'll sort of carry most of the, carry most of the weight and then when it comes to the in the ring he'll carry most of the load and he'll hold my hand through it and that's what happened and i got a, i got a, a a very good education from doug and from bobby rude and from you know the dudleys and cowboy and uh, machine guns and all you know all, this, all those guys so it, was, it, it worked out very well for me awesome <clears throat> you um you touched on a couple of points there which got that in the notes so <clears throat> first of all you, you spoke about the time uh you know all star and, and uh, the typical kind of holiday camps and 200 plus matches a year um how was that transition from you know the kind of the british independent circuit the holiday camp stuff to going to the us scene like how difficult or, or easy was that i found it very difficult <clears throat> um just the pressure, you know, this, like, you know, Dixon, Dixon, when I was, I think 2007, I think was the year that I, or maybe 06, whatever year it was where I really was like pretty much worked for him and no one else. His business was incredible. Like it, we got, it became so commonplace to just go to a, go to a venue, like good and good quality venues too. Like, good you know thousand seat theaters and stuff and for them to be packed mm. you know every night and uh but you know along with butlins and obviously butlins was you know and even butlins business was good enough at one point where we had pyro and cheerleaders and stuff you know <laughs> um and but you it's it was still very much sort of you're on your own right you sort of you know you you you're working with most of the time unless it was in a tag or something i was most likely working with one of about four or five guys that i'd worked with dozens and dozens of times uh -huh. so which is uh, you know which which is something i really miss about wrestling like i miss the days of getting to wrestle the same guy over and over again because that's when you really get to have fun and you mm -hmm. get to like experiment with stuff and you don't have to sit there and go okay what should we do you know <laughs> <laughs> like what do you do all right let's figure it out like when you can just sort of a lot of the time you wouldn't even talk about you you would just go out there and, and work because you sort of knew what you know you had a rough idea of where you were going and you just read each other's body language or in my case i would just sort of let them lead because they were always the veterans um anyone who's worked on tv will tell you that, that just what i described is you know so far away from what wrestling on television is especially when you're a new guy and you have very limited time mm. like i didn't know how to gobble someone up in three minutes like 
I went out and had a match with Shark Boy. I love Sharky. Right, <laughs> Dean's a he's a sweetheart. He's a great guy. But nobody's no like I think Road Dog was the agent. I don't. Yeah, it's not like he stood there and went, "All right, you got to fucking eat his lunch." You know, <laughs> gobble him up, right? Like it was. He was like, "Hey, win with your finish." I was, okay. So I go out and have like, I'm the heel, so I'm I'm feeding the baby face because like that's what a heel does. Brits never. I just feel like Brits in general like never really had that much of a problem putting guys over. Like we never, it was never this thing of like, oh, I don't want to lose. You know, like we we never had that. There was no, none of that culture in British wrestling, at least not when I was in it. Um, so the idea that I would come and be like, well, you know, I've got to look strong. I can't really sell for you either. I'm going to have to, you know, do this and win. Like I just didn't do that. Well, that wasn't what they wanted, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I have this sort of back and forth match and, you know, shine up Sharky. And then I hit him with my finish and beat him. And I come back and, you know, Cornette's like, well, you sure gave him a lot, you know, like, and then Nash is like, the fuck you do that for, what the fuck you do that for? Like, you know, you should have gobbled him up, you know, and I'm like, I, sorry, I don't, you know, I don't know, like, I, and also I'm t 21, 22, mm -hmm. I don't, all I'm, I'm just trying not to have heat with anyone, like, I can't be the one to say it, I can't go and say, oh, yeah, I, I better, you know, I better get all my shit in and pin you mm -hmm. and beat you, you know. But it just was the sort of stuff I was talking about with TNA where it was like there there was all the people in place, but sometimes, it, you know, there wasn't the system, you know, there wasn't like no one wanted to be the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that would happen where, you, you know, where someone would go, well, that wasn't what you were supposed to do. And I, well, no one told me, you know, and they were, well, who was your agent, you know, and it would just sort of be like this, right? A lot of, lot of finger pointing. Um, but more than anything, just, it was just the, the time thing. Like I remember just being, just panicking so much. I'm sure that it must've reflected. I've never, I don't, I haven't gone back and watched a lot of this stuff. It's too painful. It's so bad. <laughs> but like, I remember just freaking out when, because the referees would be like, okay, okay. Four minutes, four minutes, you know, da, 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 okay, three and a half, okay, three minutes, three minutes, you know, and I'm uh, like, you know, because <laughs> like, I'd never had anyone ever give me time cues ever. Mm. And, uh, you know, just a lot of that. And, you and and you know, you've got like the floor manager and she's like yelling stuff to you and she's holding up like, you know, and, and just, it, it's, you know, and they go hard camera, hard camera, and then, you know, and you, overwhelming, like, overwhelming. And, um, it's a you know it's it's a skill and obviously but obviously you know i adapted uh and luckily i adapted relatively quickly that was the one thing that the one solace i could take was a lot of the a lot of the guys expect like the guys like abyss and uh bobby rude and you know the sort of experienced guys who everybody respected and everybody's you know they would be the ones who would be like man you're picking this up quick you know what i mean like they knew that i was thrown in at the deep end mm -hmm. and they would you know, Abyss and other guys would say to me, man, you're really improving. Like, just, you know, stick with it sort of thing. Like, you know, good shit. So nice. that's all it, you know, that's all it takes. Like, you know, and, and there was not to say that there wasn't politics in TNA, but I don't think there was this sort of cutthroat mentality of like, oh, he's here to take my spot, you know, so mm -hmm. fuck him. I'm not going to help him. I don't, it, it wasn't like that. It was, it, you know, they sort of understood like, hey, we're doing big business in the UK and they want a UK guy 
who they can sort of hang their hat on and this is and this is the one they've chosen so let's let's help him out and you know um i'll always be grateful to that because i understand that i had the profile coming off of gladiators and everything but in reality it could have been anyone mm -hmm. so i always you know tried not to take that for granted so one of the other things we've got down here, and you, you've literally just mentioned it. So you were on uh, the 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 reboot, the UK reboot of, of Gladiators. How did that come about? And maybe talk a bit about your kind of time and experience doing that. Because I remember watching the the first iteration of that with uh, John Fashionu and, and Eureka yeah. Johnson. Um, and it was at the, the NEC in Birmingham, just down the road. And remember going to some of those and being absolutely enamored with it. Yeah. How was that for you? How did that all come about? Well, it was a massive show. You know, it was in the 90s. I mean, everybody watched it. I remember watching it. With, I mean, I had my favorites and it sort of replaced wrestling in a lot of ways, like mm -hmm. on, on television. Um, it's sort of, you know, because it it sort of became the, the Saturday the, the Saturday staple, didn't it? Absolutely. Um, the sort of guilty pleasure for everyone. Like every, it was one of those things where very much like wrestling, where people of a certain, you know, who consider themselves a bit too highbrow, <laughs> they would they would of course say oh i don't watch it but then of course they knew who everybody was you very much it. like wrestling <laughs> yeah right and it's like you, you watch it um and so it came about i um when i was when i was working on the camps uh there's a the the i don't know if you guys remember the uk pitbulls mm-hmm so Absolutely. they're they're good mates of mine they're from norfolk so they, so i used to travel with them quite a lot so mike and dave the pit bulls they were like i would i would ride with them quite a lot and because you know obviously mike was you know four or five hundred pounds and dave was a big strong man and dave at one point was even like i think competing in like uk's strongest man and stuff uh they were registered with a few different agencies for like what for sort of you know roles that they would fit you know like there was used to be an agency in London called Uglies. I don't know if it still exists, but it was predominantly for like bouncers and, you know, boxers, wrestlers, like meathead sort of roles or like unique looking people. <laughs> and I think that they, anyway, uh, Dave got a casting brief for this thing called the Thunderdome Games, which was at the Birmingham NEC. Uh, and it was a, it was a motorcycle like it was like a live stunt show thing with like um, motocross bikes and stuff. And they would do like the Thunderdome and da, 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 and this and that, whatever. And the role said uh, like this, this guy, his character called the judge and he's going to, and he's, you're basically the, you're the, you're the, you're the ruler of this underground, you know, Thunderdome ring or whatever. And it's, and it basically in this brief, it says, uh, um, comfortable, like must be comfortable interacting with an audience on off the, you know, off the cuff would suit a pro wrestler because they wanted a guy to have a big physical, you know, to be in shape and have a sort of physical presence, but they also wanted him to have the ability to ad lib and, you know, and, and who better than a pro wrestler, right? Like those two attributes don't tend to lend themselves well to many things, much else. Dave sent it to me and said, because <laughs> they probably wouldn't get away with this now, but the casting brief also said uh, tall, big, and then in, in brackets, not fat. <laughs> so Dave sent it. He probably could get away with that now, but Dave sent it to me and went, well, that's me out. 
you know <laughs> he went here you should you should go for this um so i did and i got the i got the gig and like i think it was you know i think i think it ran for two weeks during, there was some sort of big sort of motorcycle expo or something at the at the nec and they were doing this every night and i loved it because this was more money than i'd ever made in my life you know it was like three grand a week or something i went oh my god you know i'm rich <laughs> <laughs> and uh um and it was great and you know and it was a night it was nice to sort of have, take a bit of time off and they put me up in a nice b&b and whatever and i didn't have to drive you know five or six hours every day or anything like that. so it was sort of you know it was nice um and it was very easy and the guy who who wrote and directed and did the show was a guy called carl and after we were done he said to me hey look i have this uh talent agency is i i deal mostly with stuntmen and stuff he goes but every now and then stuff comes up for guys like you do you want me to put you on the books and i went sure yeah whatever didn't hear anything from him you know and i never really thought of it again and then one day out of the blue he called me and said hey uh two questions can you swim and are you afraid of heights and i said yes i can and no i'm not and he <laughs> goes great because they're bringing gladiators back i got you an audition wow and it just like that and and i just sort of went oh shit okay and he was like yeah uh it's gonna be at uh woolwich barracks like army barracks down in london uh here's the date blah 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 like you know here's all the info you know blah 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 you know get down there um i went to the auditions and uh i did a i the, the auditions for gladiators was, was one of the funnest it was um, like one of the coolest experiences of my life doing just the auditions because the um this is where wrestling really helped for two two reasons because i've been wrestling every day my cardio was on point mm -hmm. i was like i you know i was and i was i was young i was a 20 then so i was i was young and i'd been i was wrestling every day um and i was not as heavy so i was we they had this big this assault course set up was army barracks that's why they did it there and they had and that was the first thing they had you do before they even looked at you had you talk anything like that that you know they, they they made you do this thing and there was 50 of us there and they cut 25 right up right out of the shoot like whoever you know and ba just based on your time mm -hmm. so right out of the shoot like we just we they put us through this you know hellish like obstacle course and I, you know, there was a couple of my mates who were at that audition with me. So we went down together and we just thought, well, let's go and have a laugh. And we didn't take it seriously. Like I did, I honestly thought I was too young. I was like, they'll never pick me. I'm like, like I, you know, I knew enough to know. I still, I'm still like a bit of a kid. I still look kind of young. I don't think I'm going to get the part, but whatever, mm -hmm. be fun. And you never know who you might meet, <clears throat> but I okay. go. So we just went for it. But, um, you know, I think I was in the top 10, I think for the, as far as the assault course goes at the time. Cause like I said, I was just, I was my cardio was you know was great then and um and i just remember this that they read off this list of names and i wasn't on the list of names that they and i remember thinking uh eh, well never mind and then they they said okay if your name was if we just read your name out thanks for coming but we're not interested go home and suddenly you know he was looking around and then you start sort of then you then you start sort of doing the probability and you you know and I started going well now there's 25 of us and there's six spots mm -hmm. so that's a little bit of a better than a one in five chance you know and I was like mm -hmm. oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll you know maybe I was being hard on myself you know and then they, they we take a little break 
Every, okay, everyone be back here at whatever time we come back. First thing they do, they bust the camera out. And I used to hear about this. See, the funny thing, see, a lot of my friends had been to WWE tryouts and I'd never got one. But a lot of my friends had told me that WWE would do this where like they'd be sitting around like, and then they would just get a camera out and put it in your face and go, cut, cut a promo, get now, talk, right? Wow. So I think subconsciously in my mind, I'd sort of thought about that. Because that's what they did at the Gladiators auditions. They busted out these cameras and suddenly went, okay, like, give us your best, like, 30 seconds, you know, boom, whatever. And, you know, you're looking at all these guys and they're, like, meatheads. These guys are great shape. I recognize a lot of them from, like, fitness magazines and TV shows and stuff, but they just couldn't do this. They yeah. were like, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, and you, then they, you, know, you can see the producers kind of going, uh, thanks, great, okay, next, you know. I just had a, like I said, I was, I was on the holiday camps. So that's your bread and any, butter. On any given night, they might, they might say, "Okay, you're a villain tonight." Like, go out and you know get some heat on the microphone first, and then whatever. So I had, you know, at least three or four different like generic promos <laughs> that I could just you know, just pull out right, right away. And, you know, it was just very pro wrestling 101, right. You know, so like when I look at the teeth on this guy and the hair on that guy and, you know, mm -hmm. da, 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 whatever, right. Like, um, but in comparison to everyone else at the auditions, it was, you know, you, it was much better. And so then I saw, I saw a couple of the producers sort of go mm, like make a couple of notes. So then I started going, okay, I might have a shot here, you know, and then they had everyone do, they set up like a sort of mock entrance way, uh -huh. like a tunnel. And again, didn't tell anyone what, but I knew what they were doing, uh -huh. but a lot of the guys had no clue what they were doing. And they said, okay, everyone line up. We're going to play some music. Give us your best entrance. Same thing. Some of these guys come out and they're just like deer in the headlights, like, <laughs> you know, like flexing and stuff. And it's like, wah, wah. and I, I just, like, like I'm about 10 people deep. So I've got about 30 seconds to make a decision on what I'm going to do. I see a bottle of water lying on the ground, grab the bottle of water and do the fucking DX. <laughs> <laughs> Spit a bunch of water, like do some sort of spin, you know, point at a camera, like, you know, blah, blah, and, and that was, the, that was it. Like I, I knew then like I fucking got this. Cause nice. I, uh, cause I watched, cause I watched, I watched a couple of producers go like, right you know mm -hmm. like that's the sort of thing you know and and that was i don't think that they had i don't think because you know at the time i wasn't that physically i didn't have the physique i have now mm. you know i did because i was young i was only 20 like, like i wasn't hadn't really filled out yet but i had enough of one and i think that they looked at me and sort of went eh, whatever but then it was the it was all Everything the extra stuff behind that yeah thing. yeah and 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 i and i uh, and I got the, the gig, but it was like, and it was then when I did the show, I remember we were training for it and everything. And I looked around and again, like everyone, Dwayne Ladejo was on that show with us. Dwayne was a fucking Olympic silver medalist, you yeah, know, man. ridiculous athletes, full grown man, right? Like could <laughs> dunk a basketball, uh, you know, and like deadlift like 500 pounds. I mean, he's just a, like a freak of nature athlete and one of the sweetest guys ever. Loved Dwayne. But I'm sort of looking around going like, and then, you know, all these other guys, like full grown men in their like at least mid 20s, but you, but some were even in their 30s and 40s. And I'm like a kid. Mm. And I remember looking around thinking, like, 
I, I've got to make the most of this opportunity, but I'm not going to get to do, I'm not going to like, I can't compete physically, but I can compete on the entertainment side. And I remember them getting everyone together one day. It was so funny because it just shows that how I looked at it compared to how they looked at it. But the producers got all the, all the, all the cast together. And it was very somber. Like they were sort of like, okay, guys, we've got something serious we need to talk about. And we thought, oh God, here we go. It's going to be like drug testing or something, whatever. And, uh, and they go, so as you know, you know, gladiators, it's all, it's, it's not just about the physical stuff. It's about the characters and everything like that. And we've been, we've given you all your names. Like they gave us our names, but, but they said, we haven't really discussed your personas yet or anything. But, we 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 want you guys to discuss it amongst yourselves, um, but one of you needs to be a bad guy, right? And it <laughs> you would have thought that they would ask these guys for a kidney, like <laughs> they were looking at, and I just I stood there. I thought everyone was going to be like me 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 like please make me, yeah. and no one did. Everyone was looking at it like oh no, someone has to be a bad guy, and I went. <laughs> yeah I'll absolutely i'm like yeah please please like and and they went you want to do it i went fuck yeah i want to do it like <laughs> of course i want to do it <laughs> like i can't understand how the rest of you don't <laughs> and i remember and they were like oh well that's a relief that was easy and i went fuck yeah i said you got your, got your villain right here <laughs> and uh and we finished and then like all the other guys came over and like I remember one of the guys, Sam, I still talk to him today. I still, we still have a group chat with all the gladiators. It's so cool. But I remember him coming up to me and being like, are you sure about this? <laughs> I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I, you have no, you have, you have no idea what you just missed out on. And I, and, and, they, and they were all so relieved. Like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I don't want to be a bad guy. I don't want people to boo me or whatever. And I'm like, I want every fucker in the building to boo me. Bring it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, 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 but then it was, you know, within, Within two or three episodes, like they all went, they were all just like, ah, oh, of course, you know, because mm -hmm. suddenly I I had my own, they did it, they ran an advert for Gladiators on Sky One that was just me. <laughs> like, I remember watching The Simpsons one day and this, because I would see adverts for the show and I would sort of, you know, get a bit of a kick out of it, or whatever. And then this one came on and they it was, it was kind of typical British television producer, like, uh corny like they played bad to the bone you know <laughs> and it's down now 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 and it's like a close up of me and then it's you know he's mad uh, he's bad get used to it but i was like i remember sitting there with my girlfriend at the time and, and i was like what is this it's just me and that was it and then it was like gladiators this sunday on sky one and i was like oh shit like they built like they made a whole commercial just with me you know that's when i knew okay this it must be resonating mm -hmm. and and I, and and that was how i that was the sort of that was my i always wanted to come to america that was my sort of that was my ticket do you know what i mean it was i i never looked at gladiators as like this was going to be this long-term thing i never looked at it as a career you know i did panto off it fucking loved panto <laughs> i got a, i made some really nice money doing like appearances and stuff like going to like shopping malls and playing duel on an inflatable bouncy castle you know I did, nice. like great like had a fucking blast mm -hmm. but i never looked at it as a sort of 
this is my thing. I always always had one eye on wrestling still. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can I use this to help me with wrestling? Um, and then as, so there's two versions of this story. Um, and I've, I'm, to this day, I'm not sure which one I, I believe or whether, or whether maybe they're both right. But so FSM was, was the number one magazine and, you know, Fighting Spirit magazine was the sort of number one independent magazine. And uh, James Denton, who was the editor at the time, is still a good buddy of mine. He reached out to me about an interview. And I was like, fuck yeah, you know, I'd love to. Obviously, because I, you know, I went from being a nobody independent wrestler and suddenly I was on like, you know, double decker buses and billboards and, you know, all over the country and, you know, had my own commercial. <laughs> so I, but, and then, and I'm only, I'm only saying this because it's true, but it was really hard to nail down a time because I was getting pulled in 10 different directions all the time between like filming and appearances. I was always on the train to London and this was, I had a Blackberry, you know, so that's how long ago it was kids. <laughs> I had a Blackberry, see? Um, but, uh, but it wasn't like now where you could, it, you still had to sort of be online. You know, it wasn't as you could sort of email on a phone, but that, you know, you couldn't do, it was, you know what I mean? It wasn't, we weren't yeah. quite there yet yeah, with, yeah. with like smartphones and stuff. It wasn't quite like it, we weren't, we weren't sort of accessible anywhere in the world anytime. Mm -hmm. And it was, we were finding it really hard to nail down a time for, to sit down and do like a long form interview. So in the end I said, why don't you email me the questions and I'll write and I'll just email you back with the answers. I said, that way you can sort of have a look at my writing style. Cause I wouldn't mind if you were open to it, I wouldn't mind contributing to the magazine. And he was like, are you kidding? I'd love that. He's like, here, I'll pay you. And you can have, have a column. And I had a column in FSM for 10 years or something. It was, you know, I had wow. a long running column. I ended up being the longest running columnist in the, in the magazine before it shut down. And, um, but the magazine that they did the big feature on me in was the first had AJ Styles was on the cover. And it was significant because it was the first time that a cut, someone on the cover had been someone who wasn't in WWE. Okay. It was the first non WWE guy on the cover. It was AJ. And obviously, uh, TNA with keeping a big, keeping an eye on all the UK stuff and Dixie with her background in PR. That's what she, you know, that was her, that was her business before she went to TNA. She was in the PR business. So she was paying close attention. So she was making a big deal about this. You know, and so she had a copy in the office and said to everyone, look, this is how well we're doing in the UK. Like AJ Styles is on the cover this month. It's the first time they haven't had a WWE guy on the cover. Um, and just because of that, that's how that magazine ended up being like kicking around in the office in Nashville. And, you know, so then inevitably they find this and they're like, oh shit. Like this, they gave this guy eight pages. <laughs> like, who's this guy? You know what I mean? And, and, uh. So then James, I was on, I was on holiday in Canada visiting my, I have family in uh, British Columbia. So I was, I was, I was on holiday in Vancouver and I got an email from James going, this is really random, but Dixie Carter wants your contact information. Can I give it to her? And I was like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, like, but Dixie, Dixie, the owner of TNA Dixie. And he's like, yeah. And he's, and like, I have to give her credit for like, cutting out the middleman because five minutes later i had an email from her saying 
Hi, Nick. I'm Dixie Carter. I'm the owner and president of TNA. Uh, I would love to give you, I would love to give you a call. I'd love to know if you're interested in coming to work for TNA. Wow. And I just, it, you know what I mean? Like it just completely, um, you know, very spoiled in that respect because I didn't have to have a tryout. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to send in. Now I remember thinking like, do you want me to send in a match or something for you to, you know? <laughs> and I just, and I just, just got back right away and called her and said, yes, of course, you know, like, I can't believe this, you know, what do you have in mind? And she's like, well, when can you start? And I still went, well, uh, I sort of have Panto and I have like, this, I have, we've already committed to another season of the show and everything, but that ends in January. She's like, God, oh, perfect. We, we do a UK tour in January. You, so you can start on the UK tour and then you can come back with the team and start on TV. And I just wow. went like, what? what? Like, <laughs> this is like September. Like, so within just, literally a few months, just not even any time to blink. And I just went, uh, okay, like, I guess I wrestle for TNA now. <laughs> and Terry Taylor sort of followed up and was like, and you know, hey, I'm Terry Taylor. I was like, yeah, I know who you are. Like, and he's and he's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm gonna, we're gonna send you, we're gonna, you know, draw up a contract and send it through, and you know, just sign it and send it back. And we're gonna, and then they said, oh, we want, oh, and they were like, oh, what, when do you, do you have any event? When's your when's your uh next available time that you could that you had like three or four like a, like three or four days that you could come out to nashville and i was like uh, i don't know but it was relatively soon and they're like, great we want you to fly out to nashville to do vignettes i remember thinking like i've got vignettes <laughs> like why do i have vignettes do you know what I mean? i'm like <laughs> you know it's kind of like i'm getting like they're really sort of i just thought i would show up and maybe you know do dark matches first and whatever and they were like now we want you to come and do vignettes like and so they flew me out to nashville and i got a tour of the office and like wow you know did the whole it was really it was really you know dixie just she that's why i always you know let people people say a lot about dixie and some of it is true and some of it isn't but as you can imagine i have a great deal of fondness for her for for what she did for me absolutely because you know, <laughs> uh, I certainly didn't deserve that amount of, you know, rolling out the red carpet and everything. Um, but, you know, I do take pride in the fact that I didn't let her down, you know, in the long run, mm -hmm. because I had, you know, because it, it took a little while, but I ended up, you know, sort of fulfilling my potential there and getting all the way to the main event and the world title and everything. So, yeah, but I, none of that would have happened without her. Beautiful. A lovely story a really nice way to lead into kind of the one of the last questions so we usually ask do you have any advice for someone wanting to get into wrestling and listening to the the journey that you've had to get there has been incredible and everyone has their kind of own different story and experiences and, and ways of getting into that is there anything that you could offer in terms of advice to to young or older aspiring kind of wrestlers that want to make it or or try to well there's i mean there's all kinds of stuff um, and I'm sure some of it will, will finish this conversation and then I'll go, ah, I should have said that. <laughs> um, but you, you never know who you meet, right? Like, I know it's a, a very cliched one, but you never know who you, who you like, who you might meet and you never know who you're talking to at that given time and who they might end up becoming. Um, so tread carefully, you know, uh, 
and and this is advice that I have not always taken. I will I will clarify that. You know, like there have been times where I've been an angry young man, you know, and been too emotional and reacted, you know, in the wrong way to certain things. And I probably have, you know, uh, soured relationships that I shouldn't have soured, you know, and, and, you know, you pay the price for that. Just for me, I think the, remember, it's always treat it like a business. It is a business, right? You are a business. If, if you were in any other line of work as an independent contractor, plumber, electrician, you know, bricklayer, you know, would you accept the proposals that were being given to you? Would you, you know, would you, would they make sense for you as a business, you know? And also remember that t tomorrow's another day, you know, like pick your battles. Again, something I have not always done well pick your battles and understand that ultimately your value will be determined by the quality of your performance. Uh, that's not to say that <laughs> booking isn't important because it is. And it drives me crazy when you get people that say wins and losses don't matter. They do. Um, it's the way you win and the way you lose. So that comes down to, you know, your, your, again, the quality of your performance. Uh, but it's when you're, when you're first getting into the business, you know, just execute the fundamentals as perfectly as you can and then progress. Like I can tell you, um, and this is not, this is not me being, a, you know, old man yells at cloud. I'm 35, <laughs> but when I, cause I do, obviously I do pay-per-views and I do TV tapings, but I also do independent shows and stuff as well. Um, and a lot of the time I'll be, you know, the, the, the whole business has changed now where that, you know, on any given show, there's likely to be sort of three or four name guys on it. Most of the time, like I was on these shows in Canada, the Bollywood boys were there, you know, different guys. So, and obviously me and Harry Smith and different people. So like, and whenever you, when we, when we sit around and, and you, you'll get young guys who will come and say, Oh, could you watch my match? Or did you see my match? what do you think? Or can you give me advice? Whatever, you know, it's almost always the same thing where I'll go. We would much rather enjoy watching two young guys if they've got eight minutes go and do a really well executed hairlock tackle drop down hip toss you know ducks and cross body boom one two kick it you know whatever it is we'd much rather watch guys do this really nicely executed fundamentals right crisp and per you know well timed and with some fucking pizzazz you know and some and some you know panache right then hold my hand and I'll climb up the ropes and I'll, you know, blah, 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 blah. like, and it's not done. It's not, you know, it's not perfect. Mm. Right. I always thought that the, like, and this was something that I heard a lot from the, from the veterans in Britain was like, they used to call it the craft. And that's what you have to, I think you should approach the business like a craftsman. I think you should like, you know, there are sushi chefs in Japan who aren't allowed to touch the fish 
for the first year, right? All they're allowed to do is the rice, you know? And I don't, I mean, I'm just using this as an, I don't know exactly how the, I don't want someone to go, actually, what are they doing? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Because until they have mastered the rice, it is not relevant what they can do with the fish because mm. there is someone else who can do the fish. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who the fuck gives a shit what you can do with the fish until you have, until if you can't get, if you haven't got the rice right, then it's all going to go to shit. Mm-hmm. And the same is true with, with wrestling. And, and, you know, I use the, the chef, sous chef comparison analogy quite a lot in wrestling because it's, to me, it's sort of how I look at it. You know, is like I said, it's a craft. Who, you know, the, the audience don't want to see you try stuff. The audience want to pay to see you do like professionally execute the stuff you've mastered. Mm-hmm. And if that is a hip toss, then give it the, you know, give it the biggest fucking best hip toss you can possibly give and take the biggest hip toss you can take and bounce off the mat and, you know, fly up and sell and, you know what I mean? And attack the mat the next time you get bumped down instead of like kind of half-assed doing all that because you definitely because you really want to get a code red in or a canadian destroyer or you know or something else um there is time for that and you know like i said approaching it like a business what is your thing right in the marketplace not what's your thing like you know i've come up with this name for myself you know okay cool right and that's all important but who are you? You know, like, are you a guy just following the fashions, right? Like this cool move. Like you see, I see it all the time. Like I'll see a bunch of moves and I'll go, why is, when did everyone start doing this? You know, cause everyone starts doing it, right? Like one person, usually in Japan, one person does some sort of move and suddenly everyone's doing it. And most people aren't doing very well, <laughs> you know? And you sort of go like, is this you or is this you trying to fit in? Mm-hmm. Cause you know, fitting in is overrated because in this business you're supposed to stand out i have been able to maintain a pretty good standard of living and i think part of that was like i said when i came out of tna i sort of had this sort of arrogant like oh i'm resting on my laurels like oh i'll be fine you know because i had all this time on tna tv or whatever but like people weren't interested because they were like well who the fuck are you Mm. you know like not who are you is like we know who you are but like What's special about you? You know, like what, what is your thing? Right. But now I think when people think of me and maybe I'm wrong and maybe you can correct me if I am, but it's like, my thing now is I feel like people look at me as like, he represents a certain sort of style of a like traditional. I can work with anyone, but it's like, I don't, I deliberately stay away from certain stuff because I go, you didn't, you don't you don't want to see that from me you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you don't need to see me do a canadian destroyer right like well, i might take one you know <laughs> but you're not going to see me give one because that ain't who you know you didn't pay to you know if you paid to see me that isn't what you paid to see like you paid to see a story told you paid to see the you know the 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 wrestling the the match be presented in a way and you know and wrestling be presented in a way that is authentic and credible and you know that 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 is a like i i take 
uh, you know, people use the word throwback and I, I take it as a big compliment. Um, because to me, like good wrestling is good wrestling. Like, you know, Brett and other members of the Hart family said that to me. They go, you know, they said, uh, a, you know, prime rib will always be prime rib. You know, that people, you know, people's taste in burgers and stuff might change. They might throw different, but, you know, but prime rib will always be prime rib. And, you know, they were talking about the match with me and Harry, you know, and I, and I, that was a very, that was a, a, a beautiful compliment. Um, so, yeah, like, sometimes it's easy to get lost in trying to be one of the boys or trying to fit in or trying to impress people. Like I see a lot of wrestlers who I think, are you trying to make money or are you trying to impress the right people? Right. And sometimes those two go hand in hand, but sometimes you can get so wrapped up in trying to impress the internet or, you know, or, or like the, the most discerning of fans that you can lose sight of the fact that, you know, you you need to build your market value. Like ultimately what it comes down to is make yourself as valuable as possible so that you could either become desirable as someone to get signed to a nice contract. But if you're not, you can still make money. You know, that comes, you build your market value build a professional reputation with with promoters your fellow wrestlers and with the audience where people know that every time i've bought a ticket and he's and to see him every time i've every time i've seen a show and he's been on it i got my money's worth you know i never never watched it and thought eh, it was disappointing mm. doesn't mean to say you have to kill yourself every time but like make that commitment to yourself and to the business that people will always feel like they got their money's worth. And if you start there with everything you do, you'll be okay. Sound advice. Really, really good. A testament to that, actually. I was just thinking about it when you were talking about it, especially with the storyline stuff is the match you had there. I want to say it was at hard times with James Storm where you did like, it, it reminded me a lot of Brett versus Piper where it was kind of like shit, a lot of shades of grey. Um, yeah. And that, and that for me, that was like the match where I was like, kind of like, really like, oh yeah, this guy's awesome. This guy's really good because you didn't do anything that was like massively like outrageous. It was just a traditional wrestling match, but it told such a good story. Yeah, I think, and this is something I learned from Brett was like, and Nick Bockwinkle. That's a that's a comparison that I get. I've been getting more and more, and I really, really appreciate it when people make it. You know, so it's so trust me, it's not lost on me when people make that comparison because it means a hell of a lot. Because I thought Bockwinkle was fucking awesome, but there's a there's an art to being a wrestling champion, right? Like there's a heel. I love being a heel. I'm infinitely better at being a heel. You know, I understand that. And I love doing it. And that's one of the things I loved about the match in Calgary last week was that I've for the because I've been a baby face in the NWA for ages and it's it's stifling to me because I'm like, Ugh, you know, I love being I like controlling the I like controlling people's emotions. And um but there's some but when you know, and it was cool for me because it was I didn't because I wasn't a champion. Like I didn't have because you have to wrestle in a certain way when you're the world champion, I think. You know, you have to, 
you have to put in more you have to have more commitment to you know to to everything you do and there's a and there's a way to wrestle as a champion that, that you know if you want to hold the belt for a long time like there are certain guys who lend themselves well to chasing titles and there are certain guys who lend themselves well to holding titles and i've always tried to model myself after Bockwinkle, flair harley triple h brett all of those guys I just listed, I thought were really good long-term champions mm-hmm. because they were very good at uh, getting the most out of very little and just giving a little bit more each time, not just throwing the kitchen sink at the first title match. You know, shine up the other guy. Mm-hmm. Like, control the situation, control the pace, control the tempo, control the emotion, most importantly. And that's how you get the absolute most out of the guy you work with and you let them and you let the people go man he should be champion you know but then the next but but suddenly and you know suddenly they don't realize it but subconsciously the next time you defend the title they're there again you know because and it takes it takes courage to be that guy like People for years kind of had this thing on Triple H, like, well, he was just the guy that worked with the the top guys. I heard that criticism a lot. And it's like, yeah, because someone had to. <laughs> someone had to have the courage to to be, I don't want to be, you know, like everyone else, I want to be cool. I want to have a cool guy. I want to be the big star. I want everyone to cheer for me. It was kind of like going back to like the gladiators thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Whereas like someone has to have the has to have the business <laughs> acumen. You know, and the and the sense of responsibility to go, well, not everyone can be the hero. <laughs> you know, someone's got to be the antagonist. And I've always tried to be the sort of the best antagonist that I can be, a, you know, the great antagonist. Absolutely. Um, just before we uh, start, like, kind of, like, wrapping up as well, uh, we've just kind of, like, started working with you with your uh, legacy sports nutrition brand. Um, yeah. What inspired you to create the that business and what can you tell us about the product in general from it? Well, like I alluded to earlier, when I when I um first sort of developed this passion for wrestling, it you know, it paralleled with this passion that I was developing for for getting in shape for health and fitness and nutrition and everything. So I would get all the magazines and I would get the Arnold books and the Dorian Yates book and you know, all the different stuff. And um and so I, over the years, I've you know, used all kinds of supplements, uh, had a, you know, had, always, always been on point with my supplement, you know, regimen and everything. And um, uh, over time, you know, started sort of formulating the idea a few years ago. So, you know, with the platform and with, and when I'd been profile, I'd been, I'd been featured in muscle and fitness a couple of times and, men's health and different things i thought you know i'd like to i would like to launch a brand at some point especially for like products that i would want um and honestly when lockdown happened in the pandemic that was when i went okay like i've now i've got enough time and i can actually you know do the research and get everything going and you know find the suppliers and you know get get everything going and and we did and uh uh you know it's 
it's my baby there's no doubt but mickey you know mickey has there's a women's line and mickey's involved in it you know and she and so we you know so we run the business you know together uh and one of the things like that was one of the reasons why i launched one of the first products we launched with which is still one of our best sellers in fact two so we launched we only launched the 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 brand with five products and two of those five are our best sellers now and it's still best sellers like by a long way and that's test x9 and recovery pm the recovery pm i'd become this i think maybe you know i'm sure because of wrestling because of all the travel and going in different time zones and being exhausted but then you know then having to peak late at night on on show days but then coming home and being dad and then being like you know i gotta be up at six o'clock to to get breakfast going and get you know get my son off to school um you know sleep is so important like it's the it's a pillar of health and when you're young you just don't give a shit about sleep like it you know it it happens and you sort of like you're you know and when you don't have any responsibilities you take it for granted because you can pretty much sleep as long as you want unless you know if you've got a job and you got to make you know you got to be to work on time and all that sort of thing but but for the most part you don't it's i found that when i became a parent was when i i really started to get serious about like how important sleep is to your health like most people in the western world i can't speak for the whole world but most people in like the uk and the us a lot of the health problems that that people have and just overall sort of wellness like performance issues that people have most of them could be diminished or at least significantly improved by just by improving their sleep you know and i'm not just talking about being more alert and you know, feeling better, you know, literally talking about mental health, which is obviously a huge thing now that people are uh, much more discussion about, which is a great thing. But a lot of people's mental health issues are coming from a very coming from poor quality sleep because their because their their brain is not rested enough, and they're not and the brain isn't getting a chance to recuperate. So it's not getting a chance to produce enough dopamine, or it's becoming addicted to dopamine from artificial sources like you know phones and social media you know, mindless entertainment etc etc uh and for men the majority of your testosterone release occurs while you're asleep and it has to be during a certain type of sleep it has to it has to be during a deep sleep you know you, ha- you have to have you have to you have to be in a good state of rem sleep for a good period of time for testosterone to release so again when I started putting together the, you know, test X nine. It was like all of the ingredients in test X nine. And you can go to the website, legacy Uh, one of the things I take pride in is that on the test X nine page, you can read the product description and there's links to all of the products and they all link to independent, uh, clinical studies that, that, you know, show the, the, the effectiveness of these different ingredients, right? And they're not, they're not something that I've, done um but it occurred to me that well everyone you know test boosters are really popular now and as they should be because most guys the testosterone levels drop after the sort of mid-20s but not everyone wants to go to a clinic and get trt because thing is with trt is once you pull that pin and that grenade it's over like once you go start getting artificial testosterone like you have to keep going and getting artificial testosterone 
right? So you really want to try your best to do anything you can to stimulate your own natural T levels before you mess around with that. Um, and that's when I realized, well, most guys should be taking both of these. They should be taking the test booster and the sleep aid, which is why the ultimate test stack has that and the, and the estrogen blocker as well, because it's like, here's, every, you know, if you're, if you're working out and you're taking care of yourself and you've got, a, and you're eating a decent diet with some good healthy fats and stuff and some, you know, good animal protein and everything like that, even if you're not, you know, if you're a vegan, but making sure that you're getting those nutrients from elsewhere and you're taking these and you're getting a good night's sleep, like you will see some benefit. And, um, so we sort of focused on that first, uh, and we just, we had great feedback. Like we had, you know, guy ranging from wrestlers all the way to guys who work out a couple of times a week to people who don't even work out and who are starting to sort of who are just thinking about it or just sort of who have you know they may they not work out per se but they do other active things but they went i feel like my testosterone is low or i wanted better sleep and the the feedback for recovery pm especially was was really great um and so sort of off the back of that off the success of that we then expanded and had you know got to more products and i think we're i think we're up to 30 products now and um yeah we 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 we're, we focused on the wrestling audience you know because that's where we obviously had credibility and you know conan and, and his show has been a great partner for us uh conrad has been a great partner for us and different guys so you know and, and now we're starting to reach out because we know there are so many more podcasts that have good dedicated fan bases who trust you um and we're just we're out here going look we're, we're not trying to we're not trying to sell you on this we're not trying to make these you know we don't do before and after you know not to say that we never will but we don't we don't you know we're not sort of we're not like those sort of generic kind of ads that you would see a lot of the time like oh i lost a, a million pounds you know like <laughs> like it's we're getting genuine feedback like on the site we have links to the reviews they're on it's on top rated so it's it's verified as uh independence isn't you know it's not there's no manufactured reviews and these are all from genuine people who have been like you know what i heard him talk about it i tried it and i really liked it and uh james i know I, i've sent a couple of bottles of recovery pm to you so i'm looking forward to hearing your feedback on it genuine feedback. yeah i'm looking forward to trying it um for, for me, like um, when you're saying about like the late nights, so I spent like probably about better part of a decade working in a bar. So like, my sleep's always been kind of all over the place. And now, now currently, but not for too much longer, I'm doing shift work. So again, it's all over the place. So yeah, I feel like something for that for me would work wonders. So I'm really so looking I would to- I would oh. suggest that when you get it, I would just like whenever you like try to try to take it about an hour before you want to be asleep. Yeah. Like, you know, I always leave it on my nightstand. And so sometimes I do just, I forget and I just kind of, and I chuck them down when I go to bed. But ideally, if you, if, especially if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're in a sort of, if you're, if your pattern's changing a lot and your circadian rhythm is, is, you know, is, is getting uh, disrupted, that I would try, I would suggest like try to make a habit, even if it just means setting a little reminder or something and being like, I take it now because I want to be asleep by such and such a time, you know, and this will help sort of kick in because the thing with recovery PM, and I don't want to make this into like an infomercial, but it's, 
<clears throat> most, you know, people buy melatonin and melatonin works, right? The problem with melatonin is, is if you can't switch off mentally, if you can't actually kind of stop, you know, if you can't, you know, you stop your brain from buzzing, melatonin just makes you irritable because now your body's trying to sleep, but you're still like wired and, you know, and that can, and it can end up being very frustrating and irritable. With Recovery PM, it's like we have uh, a blend of, there's a blend of natural tranquilizers as well, like 5-HTP and GABA and, uh, and stuff like that, and L-tryptophan to help you actually relax as well. So it's kind of like the first wave of stuff helps come in and sort of actually chill you out a bit. And then, so then once you're able to, and then you, you know, then, then the melatonin kicks in and you can, you know, hopefully get into a deep sleep. I, I need to do it more consistently because I have, I have, uh, Mickey got me one of the one of those wrist, you know, the watch things. The, the I think it's the Amazon one. But I, just, I you know, I I'm not consistent enough with it, but it does track your sleep. So I'm well, I'm I'm going to actually do my own study on it, and I'm going to do I'm going to do like a week without recovery PM and and get all the data, and then I'm going to do a week with it, um, and I'm going to publish it, uh, you know, to just to sort of, to show because you know. I, I believe in the products like we, you know, we, it's a very simple philosophy, but you know, we use the stuff ourselves. Like we wouldn't sell stuff that we don't use. And, and again, it's just one of those things where I went, well, uh, I, I use supplements all the time. So if, if I would use it, then I, I feel like we're in a, you know, in a pretty good spot and, uh, and we do, and we, and we, and we like the results we get from it. Awesome. Um, and finally, before we do, we have like a little quick fire round we'll do at the end. Uh, what are your goals for 2023 and beyond, uh, both within wrestling and with your uh, supplement brand as well? Well, with the business, it's it's to just keep scaling. You know, um, obviously I won't bore people with my sort of specific targets, but we have, you know, we have different targets for a number of subscribers and sales and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we... we scaling we, we're, we're we're very much focused on our direct-to-consumer um model but we have had some inquiries from some retailers you know so that's sort of an interesting avenue to sort of be to be looking at maybe getting some wholesale contracts and stuff but supplement business is hard it's very regulated and there's a lot of red tape and a lot of the time i'll be honest you know, the amount of hoops you have to jump through ends up making me just go, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I just want to sell directly to customers like this, you know, this I uh, can't deal with all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can, you know, if we'll reach a point where, you know, someone will make us an offer we can't refuse and then we'll have to deal with it. And, you know, I'll pay someone to deal with all that shit. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> as far as wrestling, I am... I do have aspirations now to, to sort of, to move on and level up. I think I feel like I'm really sort of peaking and I really feel like I'm at this point where I can offer a lot to whoever, whoever it is I end up working with. Um, And so I'm very much interested in just sort of playing the field and seeing what opportunities come up now, because I feel like I've done everything I can do at the NWA uh, and I'm very proud of what I've done, but I'm also open to the idea that I could 
you know, that I could be doing more, you know, there's more out there. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to explore those opportunities. Nice. Um, obviously very interesting seeing where that goes and all the best with that. Um, shall we move on to our quick fire questions? Let's we? do it. Let's Go do on. It. Uh, so, uh, dream it's it's 60 seconds and we'll try and fit into 60 okay. seconds but we've had a few people that have taken never last 20 six. minutes it, it yeah. goes longer. <laughs> <laughs> so quick for around 60 seconds uh dream match opponent dead or alive Bret Hart fantastic dream tag partner oh um he's Shawn Michaels nice uh, favorite pay per view? Backlash two thousand. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, favorite match of mine, or um, favorite match? Uh, yeah, to watch of someone else. Brett and Mister Perfect, King of the Ring ninety three. Oh, yes, please. Uh, the Rock or Stone Cold? Rock. Yeah. Sting or under? Oh, oh! Do you want to change your mind? Just, no, no, no. It is, but I, it's, but it's just a, it's just a preference thing. It's not, you know. Yeah. Steve Austin's the. I mean, he's the, he, uh, you know, the greatest ever, and no one's ever going to touch him in terms of the business he did. Fair, fair. Uh, Sting or the Undertaker? Undertaker. Okay. NW... I love Stinger, but the Taker's. He's. The the, the 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 reaction that he was able to get for his entire run mm -hmm. was, it was just incredible yeah i agree uh nwo or dx dx Edge i always thought dx was cool and i i thought nwo was cool to begin with and then very quickly i it, i lost interest in it yeah <laughs> i said i know what you mean uh edge or christian edge uh, best entrance song, favorite entrance song. Um, probably Brett's. I always nice. love Brett's music. Yeah, good shout, good shout. Um, what <laughs> next one? <laughs> this <laughs> Brett, or <laughs> Brett or Sean? <laughs> Brett. Okay, but again, just. Because of it relevance to me, of course, of yeah. course. Yeah. Sean is Sean is. I don't. I think it's. I think it's virtually. I, I you know I know it's obviously everything's subjective, but I don't really think it's arguable that Sean Michaels is the the greatest in ring performer the industry's ever had. Yeah, yeah. So the last one, and here's your chance to to put some of those. Uh, in a prominent position, your Mount Rushmore of wrestling, your personal oh, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've mentioned probably three of them already just here. Hogan, Blair, Brett, And Steve Austin. Nice. I, I'm just trying to think of and look, it, it, Mount Rushmore is hard because you you know because you're you only because you're asking before, yeah. And there's all sorts of criteria, but in terms of wrestling, 
as as pertains to what wrestling means to me and you know the wrestling that i was exposed to right like had it not been for those people like would i be in the wrestling business the answer is probably no uh and i think that from obviously you know andre right like andre the giant is sort of like you know an undertaker like you have these guys who are sort of so often i think you know are not necessarily praised enough for just how important they were like how big a stars they were right like how much of a draw they were mm-hmm. because because they were so constant like undertaker was such a consistently huge draw and that it's almost like that it almost gets taken for granted mm-hmm. you know andre the giant was such a consistently huge draw that it gets taken for granted mm-hmm. Because people are going like, well, who's the champion? How are they drawing? You know, and it's like, but Ric Flair, uh, in terms of his economic impact on the wrestling business, when Vince McMahon went national and took over wrestling and, you know, basically took over, you know, the majority of the, took all the, the major stars and launched this, juggernaut with hulk hogan and and you know essentially just sped away as this whole different level of business in wrestling rick flair carried the rest of the wrestling business on his back mm-hmm. traveled from you know all over the world and busted his ass to make so many people valuable i don't think anyone in history has ever been responsible for more guys becoming uh, a draw in their own right than Ric Flair. Because, and it's yes, it's a lot of it was on a smaller scale than the WWF, but Rick would go from place to place and would, you know, make some of the most nominal guys to the point where for a while that promoter could then continue to do good business with, with whoever it was who Ric Flair wrestled. That is a, an incredible responsibility and an incredible accomplishment that like people, you know, a lot, a lot of wrestlers owe a lot to Ric Flair. Like for, for what, for, for the, for the, for the, for how generous he was and how much he contributed to the wrestling economy. Uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, had a tremendous impact on the wrestling economy also in a different way, you know, but that's why I would put those two on it. And then Steve Austin, you know, as a a financial success, you'll never top what Steve Austin did. Like I just, because I think the model, the model has changed at this point. No one will ever, no one will ever top what Steve Austin did in terms of proportion of money generated uh, for one person, you know, in a short, in a period of time uh, in proportion to what the overall, you know, business was generating and the overall, you know, promotion was generating. No one will ever touch Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. And Bret Hart, uh, I think, represents the best uh, wrestling champion of the modern era. And again, I sort of look at it beyond the surface of, you know, the biggest star or drew the most money. But uh, Brett, I think, um, carried 
carried the WWF on his back in the 1990s. Um, not alone, but certainly carried the majority of the weight, him and Undertaker, and then Sean. But like Brett in Europe and in, you know, internationally, Brett pulled the wagon. Like, so for, for me, the Mount Rushmore is the guys who pulled the wagon. And they're, for me, they're the four guys to me, you know, and, you know, and, and props to Cena in the modern era, like, you know, he did too, uh, different circumstances, but like those guys to me, I admire them so much because they, they pulled the wagon. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, well, Nick, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, this has been a really awesome chat we've had. Um, before we go, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Obviously, I, I can see there's a specific action figure next to you there. Yes, yes. Uh, keeps drawing me eye. Mickey's uh, Mickey's retro style uh, action figure is based on the outfit that she wore when she did the Royal Rumble and her historic uh, Royal Rumble appearance. Um, that's uh, they're they're available for pre order now uh, at figuremania.net. Figuremania.net, and you can pre order that. We ship uh, we ship worldwide. Um, and they are pressed and they are made and they are en route. So if you pre-order now, this you shouldn't have to wait too long. Um, but uh, it's a limited it's a limited run. So get your hands on a, a limited collectible at figuremania.net. And Mickey will sign it. There's different packages available where you can get a signed one. And we've got um, uh, like a limited edition trading card that goes with it and different packages. So you can do one with a video shout out, you know, all sorts of different options there at figuremania.net. Awesome. Awesome. Any other plans for you to get one of your own? Well, I had I had my Cella Toys ones. Some of these are on the back wall here. Yeah. Nice. Um, that's sort of what I was the first Cella Toys figure. Uh, and it did so well that that's sort of what that's that's when when uh that's sort of what, what opened my eyes to the market as far as like, oh well, I'm sure Mickey's would do well. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, so that's how Figure Mania came to be. Nice. But, um, but we'll we'll see how it goes, and then we'll you know potentially explore new ones after that. Sweet. Um, one thing we did forget to mention, actually, Jay, you said we you know doing some some work with legacy subs and stuff. Um, for those interested in any of the products, uh, we've got a discount code, an exclusive discount code. We'll get you fifteen percent off if you use the discount code UWP. So head over to LegacySubs.com and input the discount code UWP for 15% off uh, all of the fantastic uh, products, supplements and whatnot, and more that we discussed on this show. Yes, sir. I'll be a document now. I'm getting on on our, on our news podcast as well with the Rick Ribia. So it's to give a bit of a more personal approach to it. Yes. Uh, well, Nick, thanks again. Very grateful for your time. Uh, where can people get you on social media if they want to follow you? Uh, at real Nick Aldis on Twitter and at Nick Aldis on Instagram, I'm verified on both. So, and I ain't had to pay for it. <laughs> We're still waiting for us. I That's sent something off ages ago. <laughs> I said I, when I saw I saw the thing with Elon Musk where he said people can pay. We're gonna like he's gonna make it available for people to pay to verify whatever. And I Eight said dollars a month. I said it's gonna be. It's, it's only a matter of time before a wrestling promo 
where someone says, I didn't have to pay for my blue check. <laughs> you know, like, that's just the sort of burn that you'd get in a wrestling promo nowadays, <laughs> isn't it? Like, I was verified and I didn't have to pay for it. Ooh, got <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Nick, thank you again so much All for right. your time. Really appreciate it. No worries, boys. All Thanks, right. Guys. Thanks for yeah. listening, guys. All the best. Bye. Bye. Bye.